We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am your host, James Anderson. We are brought to you by WinBet, and we have a very special guest this week, Rob Silver of the Launch Angle Podcast. Uh, you've probably heard Clay and I and Jeff and lots of people talking to Rob uh, throughout the years. Rob's one of the best in the biz. Um, very excited to to see you, Rob, in a, in a couple yeah. months in Las Vegas, but uh Today we're going to talk uh, some more kind of strategy, some sort of roster construction stuff. Um, I am going to give Rob some some hypotheticals, and I think we're going to flush out some 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 cool stuff. But first, how are you doing, Rob? I'm doing well. Uh, it was we we had you on the launch angle uh, last week, and you're two weeks last week, two weeks ago, and you were awesome. It was so much fun talking to you. We talked prospects, and it was great. And it's been great having all your uh, fellow RotoWire podcasters uh, suddenly reappearing in my uh, stream. You were you were the lone wolf, the the Lobo Cell solo uh, for quite a while. But uh, hearing Zinky back and hearing Scott Scott and Jeff uh, back, even if we're just like kidding ourselves that baseball is just around the corner, uh, and who knows what the future uh, holds. It's been great having uh, having everybody back. Uh, doing podcasts again talking baseball as if there is baseball to be talked yeah i mean it's it's really just kind of more of a distraction than anything at this point totally uh, like we, we are we are probably a good uh three four months away from from games so um who knows I, I i am approaching it as if it's all going to somehow magically work out and i don't know what date it's going to work out but i am just i'm, I'm assuming i'm going to be in vegas and i have my flight booked and my hotel booked and i am prepping as if i will be doing drafts in vegas i have no idea if that's uh uh, ridiculous, but but again, it makes me happy to be acting as if it's real. So why would I do the opposite? That would make me unhappy and sad. <laughs> I like I prefer being happy than sad. So that is how I am governing myself. Yes, I think that's a, that's a good way to go about it. Uh, as I said, I'm I'm just going to be basically throwing some hypothetical scenarios at Rob here. Uh, we are going to do this through an NFBC lens, uh, more specifically a 15 team NFBC lens. Uh, hopefully even if you don't play NFBC, you find it helpful as we kind of discuss some players and some roster construction ideas. But, uh, I, I know tons of our listeners play in, in the NFBC at this point, and I think it'll be uh, extremely helpful for them. Um, and so I want to, I want to get things started with, with this question, Rob, uh, because it's a, 
It's a question that uh, I've been faced with in, in all four of my drafts. Um, let's say that in the you're picking in the middle of the draft. So you're picking seventh or eighth. Uh, in the first round and the second round, you took uh, a hitter and a starting pitcher. Um, you know, pretty classic build. And you're in the third round. You're in the middle of the third round. Um, let's say that you know, whoever your favorite third round shortstop is, is available. And whoever your favorite third round closer is, is available. And let's even say that all the catchers are available. Sure. Um, are you going to go with one of the shortstops, one of the closers, one of the catchers, or are you going to go uh, completely off script? See, my, it's funny. It's funny when you propose this uh, this format, James. My my background's, of course, in in politics, and every politician in every country. And uh, this is not getting partisan. I promise. Uh, the first thing you learn, like on, on in kindergarten of politician school, is don't answer hypothetical questions. But it, boy, <laughs> it would be a really really bad podcast if you keep throwing hypothetical questions at me, and I just refuse to accept the premise of the question. So I'm going to assume in this first hypothetical that the hitter I took, whether it's in round one or uh, round two, had some speed. Uh, yeah. So it wasn't Vlad. It wasn't even Trout. It's somebody better than Trout in terms of uh, on the stolen base side. So that I'm feeling in this round three pick, not that I'm set for speed. So I, it's not Trey Turner, obviously, who somehow slipped uh, to pick seven. But I, have, I, I don't have a zero or close to zero uh, in the speed front. And I'll also assume, just because otherwise I'm going to make a mockery of the uh, hypothetical that neither Hader nor Liam uh, Hendricks have fallen to me somehow in the third round, so that the the best closer uh, on my board is Razel. And if I'm going closer, that that's really uh, the choice because uh, otherwise everybody's going to be yelling at their podcast machines, uh, saying, "Well, no kidding, Hader somehow fell to you there." That's that seems uh, uh, silly, though. I think by the mains he may uh, be falling in some uh, mains. We'll see uh, there. Um, I think for me, the pick, though, is Razel. Uh, and the reason is it's all about, and I mean, this may, you know, fantasy fantasy sports is not that different from regular sports. We're all in a copycat environment. When one, when one team does something uh, and it works, everybody the next year uh, decides we, I, that's, that's how you win and we have to do that. So maybe it's all just because Phil Dussault, who you had on a great episode uh, a few weeks ago, uh, this is kind of his approach that he's talked about. And therefore, even those of us who've had some success uh, copy it, but it's very appealing, which is keeping as much optionality open through the draft as possible. And especially with a um, scarce resource like saves. And again, by the time we're in drafts with opening day right around the horizon, things may be different. There may be more clarity in terms of more rules, and therefore it may be a lot more comfortable wading into a round nine, round 10 to attack uh, saves. But the benefit of locking down a uh, certain closer, even just one uh, certain closer, I think, is then going forward in your draft, you don't feel like you need to reach. And while Phil articulates it slightly different, that's basically his point. He, you know, he, I don't think it was on, it was on um, the Draft Champions podcast where he talked, he had some acronym for it. I'm, I'm not going to uh, dignify him by repeating uh, his made up acronym. <laughs> acronym. Um, but it's all about uh, trying to get in a position 
like fantasy from the beginning of time, as you know, has all been about whether it's an auction or a straight draft, you have a finite amount of resources to spend and you need to outperform those resources with stats by the end of the season. So in auction terms, because I think it's the easiest way to conceptualize it. If you have a $260 budget, by the end of the year, if you want to win your league or win an overall and, and beat you know hundreds of teams, you need to get 320, 340, whatever it is of value out of those $260 of, of resources uh, that you've spent. Straight drafts, no different. It's just picks instead of uh, dollars. There's no one way to do it, but in a roto format, the complexity that's added in, unlike um, just a pure points league or in a football uh, draft where it all just gets into a point and it spits out a point, is you also have to attack categories. So what I think you want to avoid is you want to, uh, there are certain categories you may have to quote unquote overpay for, like, like saves and stolen bases are the two most uh, obvious. But what you want to try to do is overpay the least while accumulating the most value on your roster if you accept the fact that I am going to overpay for saves. And I think certainly as of right now, everybody's overpaying for saves. So the only question is, am I going to overpay for a good closer who I think has, let's say, an 80% chance of holding the job, doing the job, and staying healthy through the years? for the years? Or do I want to overpay for a guy who has a 30% chance of performing, holding the job and staying healthy uh, for the years? Those are made up hypotheticals, but that's the question. Because the only other alternative is I'm punting saves and I'll hope hope for the best or I'll, I'll find saves during the season. Um, so yeah, that's why I think my choice uh, in the third would be uh, Razel. Who, how about you? Who would you take in that same hypothetical? <clears throat> Yeah. Um, well, I, I can tell you in in the four drafts I've done in the third round, I've ended up with um, Tim Anderson, Emmanuel Classe, and uh, let's see, no, Tim Anderson twice and Emmanuel Classe twice. Um, so, do you have Classe ahead of uh, Iglesias? Like, is that is he your he is your third closer? He is. Uh, okay. Can I ask? Can I ask why? No, I'm not saying it's 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 the wrong answer. I'm just curious why you have him ahead of uh, ahead of Razel. I just think he's better. Um, yeah. I so think... he has, he has the potential. His his 80th percentile season is much closer to Hendricks or or uh, or Hader um, than Razel, who I think his 80th 90th percentile season is basically a repeat of last year, which to be clear, last year he earned th third round value. So when I say you overpay, if you can get the exact same se uh, season for Razel, you've broken even. And I would argue if you break even on your third round pick, you've done very well with that. Whereas I, I don't uh, disagree that the class A has a better season in him. He also has a worse season in him. I yeah, think. I think, I think uh, it's sort of track record versus, um, skills maybe mm -hmm. um like I, I think class a is the perfect closer from a, a skill standpoint um just 
going to generate ground balls at like a 60% clip and, and, and strikeouts, uh, strike out a ton. Of- and, <laughs> and, and this, this, this is the, uh, this is the Scott Genstad point. And he's not a guy who at least so far in his career comes in and walks the first two guys. Cause there is absolutely nothing worse than, I mean, pitchers by definition will walk guys. Nobody has a, nobody's Greg Maddox uh, who's, who's closing uh, in baseball. Uh, these days, um, but there's nothing worse than having your closer come in with a one-run lead, walk the first two guys, and it's you know here we go again, uh, kind of thing. And he he doesn't have that problem. Yeah, and and the reason why I think this is a a an interesting question is because I think if you're picking in the middle of the third round and you're in the NFBC main event, um, you cannot expect. Um, one of the better closer options to be there in the fourth round. And that, and that is the, that is part of optionality. And that is, I think, part of game uh, theory, which is you, have, you, you, you may be asking me a hypothetical question uh, later on about guys like Jordan Romano, about guys like Will Smith, who are perfectly fine closers to have as your closer one. The concern is, do I want to take them in the fourth round? And if you don't take uh, a top closer in the third round, you may have to. I mean, it's your draft. You can do whatever you want. Nobody has to do anything. So we say this very dramatically. I had no choice uh, but to take him. Well, you always have a choice. It's your pick. You can do whatever you want. And people may laugh at you, but who cares? It's your money that you put uh, down. But you never want to be in a position where you feel like I had no option because you don't know who's going to drop with them. You never, like, there's all kinds of reasons. So you may be finding yourself in a position in the fourth round where you're truly reaching for a guy if you don't take a guy there. The counter argument to all of this is you are passing on a Tim Anderson uh, there in your hypothetical. And Tim Anderson has um, a really rare combo of speed, uh, batting average uh, base, hitting on top of a great lineup. And I know we've gotten so blasé of, well, I can find runs. I'll stream hitters. Like who, ooh, don't, don't be a sucker, Rob, and, and, and make the argument that Tim Anderson's going to score lots of runs because he's hitting at the top of a really good lineup. It's like you can find runs, but they're not coming with 300 average and stolen bases and helping you everywhere else. Like Anderson's a true five-category guy and they there ain't that many of those after anderson's gone because you didn't get trey turner uh at the start of the draft and anderson's not trey turner obviously that's why he's there in the third round but that is the opportunity cost like we you can't pretend like the argument both of us are making of like keep your options open don't doesn't come with a massive opportunity cost and if you don't get anderson or you don't like anderson uh for whatever reason like like i i would like tyler o'neill a ton you you he, he this would be ahead of his adp but you're passing on a guy like that uh here too who again there are not that many guys who have the ceiling uh and at least now one season of track record of a power speed uh, combo, so it, it comes at a big cost here in the third round when you when you take that closer here. Yeah, and I, and just for kind of full disclosure, so I the the two times I took Tim Anderson were my first two drafts of the year, and I was able to get uh, Ryan Presley in the fourth in one, and Edwin Diaz in the fourth in the other. Um, and I don't I don't expect that to be a realistic. Uh, outcome um going forward and those were i think those were probably december early january drafts and then um the two times i took class a 
I got Tyler O'Neill in the fourth in one and JT Ramuto in the fourth in the other. Yeah. And I mean, I, I was happy with those outcomes. I don't know if those outcomes are all that realistic come, come main event time. And the problem is I could give you back a hypothetical. Like if you knew that Presley was going to be there in the fourth, do you take uh class a uh, in the third? And the answer probably is no. If I, if I knew, like if you could guarantee me, Rob, that, that, that uh, one of those closers are going to be there in the fourth, then the whole decision-making process uh, is different. But in, real life you don't know who's going to be there you can you can look at you know once the the mains get going you can look at adp and you can do like percentile likelihood that one of these three players uh are there and there's you know there's different sites that help you with it there's if you know basic statistics and excel you can create a formula of what are the what is the percentage likelihood of of event a event b and event c uh happening um but that doesn't guarantee anything because that's the nature of uh, of the mains once they start spread out over two, three weeks, depending on how the schedule uh, is set out, is when everybody sees, and I'm making up numbers here, that Ryan Presley's uh, ADP um, settles at, 40, uh, at 46 or whatever the number uh, is, and I want Ryan Presley, then suddenly... I, draft the next draft it goes at 42 and then it goes at 41 and and stump starts uh pushing up for those limited uh commodities so um it's tough i will say this is one of the good arguments for drafting in the middle of drafts right because you you have and i look i won the main overall drafting from spot 15 and i i really like the turn too there are benefits of the turn but one of the benefits of the middle is you can play a little bit more of the uh, i'm going to push closer here because in the next 15 spot uh, picks before it comes back to me there are four closers i like and i and two guys behind me already have closers so i think the odds of one of those four guys making it back to me is 93 percent. so i will i will roll the dice it's just much harder when you're at the end to play that game you need to be more more aggressive uh the flip side is if you're at the end you can force other people to be more uh aggressive so there's power in both sides but this is like the way you've described those drafts going i think is one of the benefits of being somewhere towards the middle um uh of drafts yeah and and this is a generally i want to be picking in the middle um in just a random year this is a year though where um you know i think phil laid it out on on the pot I did with him pretty well. I think there is a pretty clear top seven. And then uh, I like the combinations you can put together uh, down at the turn. And I think just in terms of first and second round, the middle is maybe the toughest place to be if you're picking eighth or ninth. Who is your pick eighth? Assume assume the top seven goes the way uh, it goes, and you're you're at pick eight. Who do you think you take right uh, as of today? I won't hold you to it if uh, if you change your mind between now and, and March. Um, I've actually had to make this pick twice. Um, one time I took Otani, one time I took Scherzer and I was very unsatisfied with both of those picks. And I think if I was picking eighth again, I probably would pick a third guy. <laughs> um, That's so good. Uh, I, you know, I think like, you know, Luis Roberts, Ronald Acuna, um, even like Woodruff, uh, Wheeler, like there, there's just 
there's a case for for all those guys there. I mean, um, I mean that is the interesting thing is especially if the season, God forbid, gets delayed, then Acuna becomes part of the top eight. I think uh, oh, yeah. if, if yep. his his value goes up so quickly every day that the season gets delayed because he's just he plays in a higher percentage of the games. Uh, every day we don't know when he's going to be ready but um the odds of him being ready on may 1st are much higher than the odds of him being ready on april 1st i don't think that's a particularly um deeper revelatory observation and i think if you knew that he was healthy pretty close to opening day it's hard to make the argument i mean well it's not that hard the argument against it is how much is he going to run, especially in the first half of the season. I think even if you set his floor on stolen bases, though, at 10 stolen bases over a six-month season, he's still clearly, I think, in the top eight of players. So even if you discount dramatically his uh, running compared to the public projection, certainly, or what his uh, stolen base rate has been in uh, previous seasons, I think he's a pretty easy call for the top eight if he's healthy and um, he, he may be help, healthy by April 1st, though I think people are over reading into those videos in the batting cage. No way. A little bit. Just a little bit. I think we all were also guilty Wait, of is, this. Hold on. I gotta uh, and you're a guy who actually scouts people. It's amazing how like mediocre professional athletes look awesome. When they're in like in a in a tank top and shorts and doing whatever it is their sport is, right? Like you could yeah. literally look at Ryan Goins taking uh, batting <laughs> practice, and you'd be like, "My God, Ryan Goins is going to have a breakout! Look at the way he's destroying the ball there in yeah. batting practice, and his arms—he's like chiseled. I don't know what kind of training Ryan Goins has been doing, but he looks awesome. And needless to say, Ronald Acuna is a better athlete, even if he can barely walk." than Ryan Goins is. So it's just so easy to get like sucked in by that because they're all freaks. They're all superhuman. So I really try not to watch any of those uh, videos because well, I'm human too and I see it. And, and like, even if it's just deep in your subconscious, it's so hard not to say they look so good at what they're doing. Rob, did you know that... Uh... <laughs> You Darvish's slider moves um, across the plate and would be hard to hit if you were. I had to hit it. I had no idea, and and then he has other pitches that move in the opposite direction. Can you believe yeah. that he can both hit the inside corner and the outside corner with pitches? I don't know if there's another pitcher in baseball who's capable of doing that, but you Darvish, yes, it's, he, it's he what makes you Darvish special. Uh, his slider moves across special the and they're quite unique. Yes. <clears throat> Um, and if, if anyone wants like some more on just sort of the, the game theory behind taking early closers, I would recommend, uh, looking at Ariel Cohen's, uh, thread from, from a couple of days ago. I thought he, he did a really good job of kind of breaking that down. Um, so the next, the next hypothetical, I kind of want to talk about a couple of guys who, who haven't been getting much run on Twitter lately. Uh, Wander Franco and, and Jazz Chisholm. Um, now. I my theory is that come main event time, Wander Franco and Jazz Chisholm are going to be going very close to each other. Um, and let's say they might be going early, early fifth round, early to mid fifth round is kind of where I'm expecting things to settle because I think speed is just going to be uh, prized much more uh, in the main events than it's being. Um, right now. And I think there's going to be a bit more of kind of a consensus on maybe some of the limitations of, of Wander Franco in that department. 
Um, so let's say that you're picking um, early fifth round, like maybe, you know, four picks into the fifth round. Uh, and you're deciding between Wander Franco or Jazz Chisholm. Is that a decision you would ever be actually making? Um, would you just not take either one and just assume there's someone you like more? Um, or will you will you humor me and, and make a call between those two guys? I I I, I will definitely humor you. Uh, I don't think that I will be in a position where I I, I like less. Uh, there will be somebody in every single room I am in this year who like both of them more than I do. I can say that with a fair bit of uh, confidence. And I posted some negative things about Wander Franco uh, this week on on Twitter and. James, I have posted about Middle East politics, <laughs> abortion, and uh, all, and, and you know who the next president of the United States should be. And I'm quite certain I have never gotten the vitriol that I got. Uh, I don't know if Wander Franco has like a bot farm out there protecting his reputation from from poor fantasy baseball players like me. Um, obviously, I love Wander Franco, the player. Uh, the real-life player. There are 29 other teams that would uh, do literally anything they could to get Wander Franco on their team, but we don't care about uh, that. All that being said, if in this hypothetical, I have to take one of them. For whatever, you know, the, the NFBC has taken a nasty turn and somebody has a gun to my head at the draft table, and if I don't take one of them, uh, it's not going to end well for me. Uh, I take Wander Franco over Jazz Chisholm uh, 100 times out of 100, and it doesn't uh it's not even uh much of a decision so i am willing to be wrong about jazz uh this year um going into last season steamer had him preseason for a 665 ops and the bat a 640 ops as everybody knows the first month of the season he was spectacular 969 ops and 85 uh played appearances then he got hurt came back the rest of the season, he has 681 OPS and 422 uh, plate appearances that came along with a 236 batting average and a 296 OPS. If you are a jazz fan, um, which sounds weird uh, saying it out loud, but if you like the jazz, um, then your excuse is, well, he was hurt and he was never fully healthy again. You can you can spin a narrative on why first month jazz is what we should be expecting long term and and pay no attention to what happened uh, for the, the four months of the season after uh, he came back. You could also point out and be quite fair, Rob, I don't care how good a baseball player he is from a fantasy perspective, even though he struggled and batting average, you know, matters. Uh, but what, why do you keep raising OPS? I don't play in an OPS league. That is not a category I care about. I care about his home runs and his stolen bases. And he was still just fine uh, the rest of the season. Uh, truth. Um, but I, I, don't, I do worry about his real baseball uh, skills uh, right now and how good he is. So when I compare the two of them, um, I think I, I, I mean, it, it is... I think Jazz Chisholm could be on this uh, podcast right now, and he would agree Wander Franco is going to have a significantly higher batting average 99 times. If we simulated uh, 2022, 99 times out of 100, uh, Wander Franco, who obviously has uh, already an elite, elite, elite hits, hit tool uh, in the league, uh, will challenge, if not exceed 300, and uh, Jazz is at real risk of being below 240. So it's going to be a negative. Um, I think in the power department, 
I think Jazz's ceiling right now is probably higher than Franco, but I don't know that I, I wouldn't feel comfortable making a bet who hits significantly more uh, homers than the other uh, guy. And while people drafting Wander Franco, I think are overestimating his uh, stolen base potential because he just that's not what his game has been so far uh, it, at any level, really. Um, I think his I think when you put the whole package together from just a valuation perspective, Wander Franco for me comes out way ahead uh, of Chisholm. So it's uh, it's if I had to pick one of them, it's even though I, I think he's being over drafted Franco. Uh, I would take him over Chisholm. You? Uh, I would take Jazz. Uh, I know yes, that I, I know you're a Jazz fan. I know that I'm in the minority there. Um, that's okay. The that's people, what, that's the, why this is interesting. The people who are coming at you on Twitter, uh, I, I hope that they they hear this and, and understand that you uh, have some nice things to say about Wander Franco. Um, I, you know, uh, there is certainly a downside risk with jazz and i you know the more smart people like you and and uh, derek van riper and and others uh point out the downside with jazz potentially i'm wrong about where he's going in main events maybe he's going in the sixth round um that would be that would be good for you could, could definitely happen um yeah and then that brings up that that introduces a whole another level of uh game theory of me trying to decide when i take jazz uh if, if there's a chance that he's there in the next round um how many guests can you have between now and march who don't like chisholm to talk down <laughs> chisholm on every single podcast to ensure you get him a late a, a, a round later yeah. uh i think you probably have at least six seven eight weeks left of podcasts you could do just just survey the industry and see who you can get on sorry continue making the case because i'm curious i obviously really respect your opinion so i'm i am open to being convinced um so it's uh you know, he is a guy that I would have, I did not have jazz uh, anywhere in uh, mm -hmm. NFBC leagues last year because I thought he was just not um, ready to be uh, an everyday big leaguer. Um, I thought that eventually, like, and I still had him ranked as a, as a top uh, 35 prospect going into the year because I thought there were going to be some bumps last year and then this year would be kind of his breakout year um and i think last year maybe sort of qualifies as a as a breakout i mean he was he wasn't uh he was slightly below league average as a hitter but you know 18 home runs 23 steals um i think that that qualifies so every time that he has um been bumped up uh, a level uh there's been like a, a period where, um, you know, he kind of figures out the pitching um, over over a span of time. And I think I just I saw enough um, from him last year to think that he will take a step forward this year. Like, I think all the points you, you make are, are valid. I'm I'm very confident in him holding on to an everyday job all season. Um, I know that that is something that, you know, people have talked about that with, uh, like Adalberto Mondesi in the past and just saying, well, he's a bad real life hitter. Like maybe he loses his job. I think if you look at the, the team context in Miami, um, they 
targeted jazz in that Zach Allen trade because jazz was someone that provided um, the upside of being an up the middle player that they could build around offensively. Cause they just didn't have anyone like that in the pipeline. Um, and I just, I can't picture him being so bad that he ever gets sent down. And even if he just kind of carries over what he did last year, um, I, you know, I think that you're, you're talking about 2020. Uh, and I, I think that that's, that's an easy projection, um, to make. And I think there's a chance that the stolen bases get up to 30. Uh, so I, I just think that that's, a combination of power and speed that you can't get after jazz um, in drafts. Like, I just don't think there's anyone else out there who's got a realistic shot of getting to those thresholds. And it just really kind of frees you up to do um, a lot of stuff later on in the draft that uh, Wander Franco does not free you up to do. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, and I agree with you that despite, even he will have to struggle um, horrendously uh, to open the season to be sent down. I don't know that John Birdie is taking his job uh, anytime soon. Uh, <clears throat> I do worry that he gets dropped down to seventh or eighth in the lineup uh, if he's hitting uh, poorly. And you can say, well, but he'll still hit home runs. He'll still steal stolen bases. He he becomes less interesting to me. From May 1st on last year, uh, Rugnito Dor had a 286 Woba. Uh, Elvis Andrews had a 290 Woba. Jazz Chisholm hit it, had a 293 Woba. I think that I, I hear what you're saying. And again, you you uh, you have more credibility on this because you actually put out a list and say, I really like him before the season. I do wonder how the market would be um, viewing him if he didn't have that ridiculous April. And I, I think that if he had stru struggled the way he did from May 1st to the rest of the season when he was one of the worst hitters uh, in baseball, not fantasy, but in baseball, I think the perception of him would be different, which doesn't mean that it's right that different perspective. You might be getting him in the eighth or ninth round if, if he hadn't had that crazy 86 plate appearances to start the season. And again, he had those 86 plate appearances. They do count. Like I can't just magic, you know, wave them away and pretend like they didn't happen, but you make, you make a good argument. There is no doubt that he could hit 230, And if he goes 20, 30, uh, he's uh, easily worth way more than a sixth round uh, pick, and you can figure out your batting average somewhere else. So you can fix that. You can adjust uh, for that. And I don't think he's going to be, despite my cheap shot using Rugnito Door to compare him to, I don't think he's Rugnito Door. Like, I think he's he's better than that, and he doesn't have some of the structural flaws that Rugnito Door does that make him uh, obviously unownable in fantasy at this point. Yeah. And I mean, there's the, the whole, a lot of my premise is sort of, I'm expecting growth and you can get into trouble when you expect growth from players, especially when you're having to draft them in the fifth round um, or even the sixth round. Uh, so, I mean, I, it's, I understand why people would be staying away. Um, um, because that is the alternative is what if he's 20% worse than he was last year? And if he's 20% worse, it doesn't matter what Miami, uh, wants to do. It doesn't matter if it's like John birdie, who's the replacement. You can't keep putting him out there if, if, if he's 20% right. worse. And by definition, in terms of his range of outcomes, 
that's possible. Yeah, I mean, like nobody was nobody was expecting Keston Hira to just be without a job um, at this stage in his career. Uh, yes, even though his strikeout rate was very high Worse. as well. Yep. Um, all right, when we uh, we're going to hit a quick break. Uh, when we come back, uh, I'm going to talk more with Rob about some draft hypotheticals. But first, a uh, message from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. If there's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire, it's making good decisions, and even more so, making the right decision. Listen up, folks. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's fantasy podcasts. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user-friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over-unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in eight states, Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, while rapidly expanding. 
At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk free bet up to $500 on your first wager. Download WinBet now. That's W Y N N B E T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. All right, we are back. Uh, the next hypothetical I've got for Rob Silver is let's say you don't have a closer yet and it's the middle of the fifth round and the top what is that top seven guys are gone um Araldis chapman is off the board uh ryan presley long gone edwin diaz long gone um are you taking everyone's favorite i feel like dylan cease is just the guy that in in every draft i'm in as soon as he gets taken someone complains that they were sniped so i, I think he's 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 the most popular he's got a universal approval rating right now dylan cease um you don't have a closer would you take Dylan Cease in the fifth round, or would you take one of the Kenley, Will Smith, Gallegos, Romano types in the fifth round? Um, first half, uh, Nick Pollock doesn't like uh, Dylan Cease. I did the uh, <laughs> panel at PitchCon when we talked about Dylan Cease, and uh, Nick came on at the end as, as our gracious host and made clear he has no idea why everybody thinks uh, Dylan Cease is going to be awesome this year. So you, if you if you want to do an hour podcast on why Dylan Cease uh, is not going to be awesome and, and move that market, uh, James, you can bring uh, Nick Pollock on to make the case against uh, Dylan C's. I like Dylan C's. Uh, but in your hypothetical, if I was going, if, if I'm uh, willing to take a uh, closer in the third round to keep uh, my optionality open, if I don't have a closer and it's the fifth round uh, and I, let's, let's play the game again, I'm picking in the middle. So uh, there's, you know, the odds of it coming back to me again, or well, to be fair, it's, it's the same thing if I'm at the end. Uh, I assume if I don't take one of these closers here, they ain't coming back to me. Uh, the next round, um, then I would take one of the closers. The closers, uh, you, 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 you named four closer, Kenley, Will Smith, Gallegos, Romano. Uh, I would not take Gallegos. So I don't trust Gallegos. Uh, I don't, it's not him. Uh, I don't trust trust the Cardinals, uh, whatsoever. Uh, they are the team that is the, the, the most obvious to pull, uh, the, we all think it's Gallegos. We all think it's Gallegos. They have a three, one lead, uh, first game of the season, the bullpen door, uh, open up, uh, opens out and look whose music is playing. And it's, it's the undertaker who walks out and it's not Gallegos. And it's like, what just happened? Or it's the seventh inning and Gallegos is coming in to, to get the, the valuable hold in the seventh. So I'm being a little bit um, glib, but I don't. I I would not draft Gallegos over any of these guys. In fact, I'm not sure I would draft him over the next tier down of guys. That's just me. I have no inside information whatsoever. Uh, but I'd be very happy to take Kenley, Will Smith, Romano uh, here, even though I would have Dylan Cease, like from a valuation perspective, valued um, higher than all of. Uh, those guys. I trust whatever happens with Kenley. Uh, there is not a team in baseball that's going to sign Kenley for the amount of money that Kenley is going to uh, receive uh, to be a setup guy. There's just no team set up to do that. Maybe the Yankees, but that would be super weird for them uh, to do that. And anywhere else, uh, like anywhere he goes, he is going to be uh, the closer. So I, I would draft him today with full confidence. Uh, Will Smith, I'm fine with, and Romano, I really like. I think there's a 10% chance 
that the Jays uh, bring somebody in. But the problem with even saying that at 10% is, and uh, and Fred Zinke talked about uh, uh, Romano uh, with Jeff uh, on the podcast this week, I heard. Um, he thinks there's no chance. I think there is a chance if Kenley's market is right. So if he, they could get Kenley on a one or two year deal that's not that expensive, they would do it in a second. They've got plenty of money. Kimbrel tr- trade, I don't know if they match up for a trade, but I think they would take Craig Kimbrell's one-year contract and roll the dice and be very happy to have Romano uh, as the you know the fireman uh, put them all everywhere role. Those are two guys, and I think the likelihood that Kenley doesn't go back to the Dodgers, that doesn't have a better offer somewhere else, and the Jays make the offer is pretty low. And like, who knows what's going to happen with with the Kimbrell trade. And beyond that, they're not signing Ian Kennedy to close in Toronto, right? Like, they, they're not signing, I don't know what other, um, Colome. They're not signing and giving him the ninth inning over Romano. So it's literally two guys. And in an ordinary winter, they'd both be somewhere else by now. So we'd know Romano is a closer. And I think he's plenty good to run with the job for six months. So I'd be just fine with any of those three guys Kenley, Will Smith, or Romano as my first closer uh, in a draft uh, this year. I'd probably follow up with a second closer soon thereafter, but fine with that. Uh, How about you? Uh, Given your answer for the third round question, I assume if you have no closer here, you're also taking a closer over Dylan Cease? Yeah. I mean, the reason I asked this question is I, it was kind of mostly a a Dylan Cease question. Okay. Um, uh, I would take, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I, I'd probably take Will Smith, uh, of the three, uh, or of, of the four. Um, I just, yeah, I think I, I just really like his, his situation. Um, so let's get to your, let, then let's get to your, let's get to the Dylan Cease question from a different way. Uh, let's say you have a close or you have speed, but you want a starting pitcher. You want your second starting pitcher here between Musgrove, Gaussman, Cease, Berrios, Flaherty, who of those guys uh, would you take first? So, um, assume they're I, all on honest, the board. So you have, honestly, your pick. you have your pick. Honestly, none of those guys. Cease is the only one of. I would take Cease. Um, okay. I have not ended up with any of the pitchers you just listed in any of my drafts, and. Um, the other three you listed aren't even really on my board, um, because I just absolutely love the pitchers who are going between After. picks like 80 and a hundred, um, gotcha. like, you know, Trevor Rogers, Alec Manoa, um, Charlie Morton. Uh, those are guys that I really, really like as SP twos, um, and cease is i just find him fascinating because i'm just not i'm not taking a starting pitcher in the range where dylan cease goes and i'm taking either speed or saves there and i so many smart people like him it's almost you you almost kind of get worried because it seems like it's just that the hype has gotten to a point where he can't possibly live up to the hype um but if if everyone is right about him and almost kind of Logan Webb to a, a lesser extent, but like if everyone's right about either Webb or Cease, 
and they end up being this year's Corbin Burns, then it would be completely foolish to have passed on them in the fourth or fifth round. I, th- I think that the argument for Cease is, to me at least, um, he's already had a 32% strikeout rate. It is really, really hard, even with strikeouts everywhere, uh, to get over 30% strikeout rate. And there are reasons to think he's getting better. And I think, and I don't have a study to tell me this is right, that it is easier for a pitcher who has a 30% strikeout rate and a bit of a walk problem to get the walks under control than it is a guy with pinpoint control to suddenly strike out 30% of the guys. Uh, You can increase your strikeout rate. We know you can. You can change your pitch mix, you can change your location, you can change your uh, approach. But making that leap into 30% strikeout range is wicked hard, and he's done it already before. So does he need to improve his command, his control, in order to, to become that elite it's not fair to him to say Corbin Burns level because that's like yeah. Cy Young uh, level, but he doesn't need to do that to be a great pick here. But to be a top 10 starting uh, pitcher this year, which is still a great pick in the sixth round, uh, if you're getting a top 10 starting pitcher, like you don't need to squint that much to see where things need to move. You go pitch by pitch through him, like he has the repertoire. There's a lot there, but I'll leave that for your podcast with nick pollock all you have to find out <laughs> is that nick also really dislikes jazz chisholm and then you're ready for him as a guest uh to talk about these two topics for you yes uh now the the pod i did with phil like one of my one of my takeaways from that pod was that um it would be kind of interesting to go the no starting pitcher route through the first four rounds and if if you do that, Dylan Cease seems like kind of an obvious target as your first starting pitcher in the fifth round. Um, uh, what I would what I would say say to that is, uh, and I would say this if Phil were here uh, as well. First off, I'll believe that Phil is doing that approach in a main event when I see Phil <laughs> doing that in a, in a main event um because that's certainly not his approach last year things may have changed the player pool may have changed his valuation you know the valuation may have changed but i think if you at home or you uh here on the podcast are considering that james i think the important thing to do as you plan out a draft and i you can obviously win uh doing that there's nothing magical about taking a first round or a third round starting pitcher what i do think though is important is pretend your draft is an auction again and um, almost everybody, if you were going into an auction uh, draft, would have some kind of plan of, I'm going to spend X percent on pitching and X percent on hitting. At least that's my goal. Let's see how it goes. But you, I'm surpri- I'd am i be surprised if there are many people who would go into an auction without putting little numbers next to each spot as just rough guides and see how it works out. I'm going to spend this much on closers, this much on starters. I want two catchers and I'm going to put aside 20 bucks for the catchers and and so on. Um, A lot of people go into straight drafts and never really think about that. They may say, I'd like to take my first starting pitcher in round three and then a closer in round five and, and, and so on. But they don't necessarily say, and how does this all add up? They may say, well, I'm going to have my ninth pitcher by round 19. But 
I think that it's important. I have no idea if Phil does this uh, or not. My guess is he does. Uh, it's just a guess. Um, never talked to him, uh, but I've never actually spoken to him. I've only uh, DM'd with him. I look forward to hopefully seeing him in Vegas too. Um, but I think it's important to figure out, like, I am spending X percent on pitching. Um, and I think the danger some people fall into um, when you say I'm going to push pitching down is they end up spending a lot less on pitching than they ever would in an auction. And if that's a conscious decision, because you think pitching is risky, because you think you can you can manage pitching through fab because of any reason, but you've consciously made the decision, amazing. Uh, there, that's not, it's not, I'm not suggesting there's a right number, but make a conscious decision because when you push it, you may find that you've spent lower than you wanted to just because of how it worked out and you can get into a bit of trouble there. So let me, let me just throw out this, um, like, let me kind of build this out and sort of see what you think yep. of it. So, um, let's say I go, uh, speed hitter in round one, speed hitter in round two, closer in round three speed hitter in round four albeit a speed hitter with maybe some warts because they're going in round four but um a speed hitter nonetheless like on uh put it give a name to it uh randy or resumena yeah that's who i was going to say but i don't want to put a word in your mouth um and then i take dylan cease in round five yep uh i take um another closer in round six okay i take uh charlie morton in round seven yep and i take uh i don't know justin verlander in round eight yep so you come out of round 10 with five at five and five basically in your yeah. uh in your scenario um i think that's fine uh in terms of a split i think it's that's a, that's a perfectly balanced split uh in some ways you are as a if you put dollars to every round um, that is probably a pretty traditional split. Like it's probably, and I'm, I am, nobody tweet at me saying, Rob, you were off by 6%. I'm doing this in my head with no numbers in front of me. My guess is that's like somewhere between 30 and 37% um, pitching just because the first, the, it's, it's a uh, steep curve between the first round, second round, third round, in terms of if you put dollars on it and giving you didn't take a single pitcher in the first three rounds, um, that's, uh, you, you haven't spent in auction terms your $30 pick, your $27 pick, and your $25 uh, pick on pitchers. You spent it on hitters. But again, that's not bad. And as long as you keep in rounds 11 uh, through rounds, you know, 16, 17, taking in like in those next six to eight rounds take another three to four pitchers i think that's a very standard split standard is i don't mean as a pejorative or as a compliment but i think that's a very reasonable uh split uh there are other people obviously you know who are going uh pitchers in the first six straight rounds they're swinging the other direction yeah i mean i think the the key to that that whole build working is you've got to get you know, 60 steals probably from those first three hitters yes. you take. And then you have to hit, like you have to get the guy, you know, Dylan Cease, um, Charlie Morton, whoever, like two of those guys probably have to, to really hit for you as. Uh, totally. And, and uh, I'd I, like, I've heard Phil, I, I worried that we're like 
turning him into some kind of a deity that we're like quoting him as if he's he's a biblical <laughs> figure that uh as he said in deuteronomy 317 uh um but like if your fifth through eighth starting pitchers like including the ones on your bench are materially better than the guy who took uh you know garrett cole in the first round but then pushed pitching down and are using and streaming guys who are giving them a four or five era um it doesn't matter where you're getting the stats from uh if you're if you dominate uh starting pitcher spots four through through ten and again i you don't use 10 pitchers in most uh, leagues, but I mean the guys off your bench or off the fab wire um, that, that you pick up uh, are significantly better than the guy who went Cole Wheeler to start the draft. Uh, you can have a better pitching staff that way. Um, part of it depends on your skill set. If you feel I am really good at identifying mid-round starting pitchers and I'm really good at streaming starting uh, pitchers, then you probably shouldn't spend like your uh, 12th round pick on your ninth starter pitcher because you're not going to be able, or you're, if, if you are streaming starting pitchers and you spent that much draft capital on starting pitchers, you've probably wasted uh, resources. Uh, conversely, if streaming starting pitchers in a 15-team league seems like a really bad idea to you, you probably shouldn't take your ninth starting pitcher in round 27 because you're going to have to stream starting pitchers, because if he was there in round 27, uh, there's probably a reason why he was there in round 27. I think part of the reason why you just don't see very many quote-unquote smart players doing anything like this is you're just you're not going to come up with a set of projections that don't value the, the very best aces as guys you should be going after in rounds one and two. And to, it's hard to steer away from that. Part of the challenge is we've all gotten too smart. Um, it's like not not to sound like like father time here, uh, but it wasn't that long ago. Uh, the guy who I always use as an example for this is James Shields. And I know James Shields, for most people, is pejorative because of the Tatis trade. But James Shields, when he was with Tampa, had one, I can't remember off the top of my head what year it was, but he had one year which was superficially horrendous, but all the underlying metrics. So like he had a 5-5 ERA or something. Again, somebody's going to tweet at me saying, Rob, you're, you're making numbers up. I am making numbers up. Uh, <laughs> horrendous year. But, but every underlying number was still really good. But it was at a time where if you had like a five ERA, um, people wouldn't draft him the next year. He would slide way down. And if you were smarter than the crowd and you're like, yeah, but look at all his actual numbers. He's still a really good pitcher. You could get tremendous values late from those guys. And you, you wouldn't be right every time because it's baseball and especially ERA is such a noisy stat. Uh, even even if even even if the strikeout numbers and the walk numbers and the home run num allowed numbers are, are uh, really good, you can have a bad ERA two years in a row because baseball. Um, but but you could get some real values. Those guys don't get look look at Aaron Nola, right? Aaron Nola uh, a decade ago drops not to the twentieth round, but Aaron Nola coming off your last off of last year drops multiple rounds. Aaron Nola's draft price is the same as last year. He hasn't changed at all uh, last year. Everybody's just assuming that, well, Aaron Nola in some ways was better last year than he was uh, uh, previously. So I'm paying up for Aaron Nola. It's annoying. It's so that's part of what makes it so tough 
is we're all looking at the exact same thing. Some of us manipulate numbers and are convinced we have some secret formula that makes us this much uh, smarter. And with pitchers, you can dive in. You can spend an infinite amount of time looking at pitch mix, breaking down uh, spin rates and, and, and everything. Uh, but at a certain point, uh, in a world where strikeout weight rate and walk rate are still the most predictive stat that you can find, and everybody knows that, and everybody looks at the same strikeout rate and walk rate uh, numbers, it's re- I agree with you, James. It's really hard to find these diamonds in the rough pitching-wise. Uh, it's really tough. That was – yeah, that was good. Um, we could – I mean, I could talk about – starting pitching builds all day um let's let's get to this this next question uh and and this one i think is is interesting i'm I'm excited to see where you take this so let's say it's it's late in the sixth round you've got one starter one closer and you loaded up on speed with your first three hitters so in theory you've you've built a roster where you can kind of go any direction you want here in the sixth round uh what type of player do you expect to be eyeing up there? Um, I think, and I heard, I hear what you are saying, but I think I want my second starting uh, pitcher uh, there. So if I am good for speed, so I, 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 uh, I don't need uh, India. Uh, th- actually, I should say this: there are two guys that I want. It's either Jorge Polanco if he is on the board, or one of the starting pitchers uh, who are there in the sixth uh, round. Uh, Jorge Polanco. Uh, and I know you have a question coming up that, that kind of takes him off the board. So I just wanted to do my Jorge Polanco uh, <laughs> no, rant. Um, he, I don't think people realize how good Jorge Polanco was and probably just is. Like last year, he was bad in April. He only had, he had 206, one home run. In April, he was atro- uh, it was atrocious. From May 1st on, he was tied with Aaron Judge and Pete Alonso for 12th most home runs in baseball. Uh, of the players who hit 30 home runs from May 1st on, only three had more stolen bases than him, Tatis Otani and uh, my boy T. Oscar. Uh, only five players with 30 or more home runs had a better batting average than him, and only five had a lower strikeout uh, rate than him. Uh, he finished Rasball as player 26, I think it was, uh, last year. Um, I'm not calling him as like a second round value again, but I haven't ranked pretty close to that. Uh, I think I go, you, like you go stat by stat, uh, for him and maybe that was a career high power, uh, year, but I think he's still going to be a good power, uh, hitter. I think the twins lineup, uh, should be uh, better this year. People forget what a good park that is uh to hit him and that he has multi-position eligibility uh for in-season flexibility uh is a bonus so give me that in the sixth round every single uh day um should my should should my wander franco question have been wander franco versus jorge polanco Oh, Polanco in a second. Like it wouldn't even, it wouldn't even pause to think about, uh, about that. I would take, that's actually the argument against tech taking the sexy new thing, whether it's Chisholm or, uh, uh, or Franco is why would I take either of them when I can get Polanco and like, is Polanco going to hit for the average, uh, of Wander? No. Does he have the stolen base upside of, uh, Chisholm? No. Uh, but boy, I like that floor a lot more. And the ceiling from an earnings perspective, like a, a fantasy dollar perspective, 
Polanco can easily out earn uh, either of them. So I have Polanco ranked ahead of him of both of them, and I would take uh, him uh, over both of them. Yeah, I've I've been using Polanco as sort of, um, or I had been using him as sort of a why on earth would I take Bobby Witt in the sixth round when I could take Jorge Polanco, uh, but. Bobby Witt's ADP, I feel like, has been uh, slipping over the past month or two. Um, you've, so- you've, you've done you've done God's work. If if, if I were a Bobby <laughs> Witt fan, you've 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 done the work of the Lord, James, uh, dropping down his uh, his price. Now you just need to find uh, like one of your apostles to do the same thing for you for for Chisholm. um you should you should still also take uh dansby swanson over bobby witt so um keep that keep that price uh dropping um so yeah your answer basically is jorge blanco or best starting one of the best starting picture on my board on my board yeah that's interesting um i just i love this pocket of starters who go in like the seventh and the eighth um which is the only reason i sort of asked that like i i love i mentioned morton i mentioned manoa um i've i've really started to come around a bit on blake snell um i i'm willing to take luis garcia as high as the eighth round and i think he's in for a, a huge year i i haven't taken justin verlander or nadia valdi yet but i see the case um and so i yeah i i asked it because i kind of like the pitchers who go a couple rounds later as much as the pitchers who go in the so round. here's here's my warning for you james uh, I think everybody does, and I think these guys are going to have a ton of like I know, I know by definition not everything can have helium, and not everything can get pushed up uh, in March. But the problem is there aren't 15 of those uh, guys, and there's certainly not 20 of those guys. And I don't think there are going to be a lot of teams who are going to want to leave the sixth to tenth round with not a single starting pitcher, because unless you've gone like three starting pitchers in the first. Uh, six rounds and I'm going for this tier of closers like I need where is my pitchers coming from and therefore I think there are going to be some wild runs on these guys and if you are if I'm picking at 15 and I'm like look the ADP for the last month has said I can get one of these guys 30 picks from now so why would I take them over here you may find that I'm coming back in round eight thinking that that like one of them will be there because that's what ADP said. And it's like, holy cow, I am taking Eduardo Rodriguez uh, now, who I don't really even like because I need a pitcher and they're suddenly all gone. That's that's the <clears throat> funnest part about seeing the those first uh, main event draft results is just sort of seeing like, oh, crap. All right, uh, this is what's happening. Um, um, the one thing I'll say about Justin Verlander is... I think if I simulated, again, the 2022 season a million times, in this hypothetical world, I'm you know, an omnipotent uh, power, and I could run, run the season through for 162 games a million times, I think Justin Verlander outperforms Max Scherzer uh, 45% of the time. Um, actually, that's not right. I think he outperforms him 35% of the time. Max Scherzer outperforms Justin Verlander uh, 40% of the time. And in 25% of the time, one or both of them are injured and are old <laughs> and broken. But of the seasons that both of them make it to 150 innings, so take injury out of this, which again, injury is a big part of both of them, uh, their profiles. Um, I think that Scherzer is better than Verlander 
put injury back into it. I'm not entirely convinced that Max Scherzer's say that much safer than Justin Verlander coming off um, the surgery and full year of rehab. And the Carlos Rodon argument of like, I'm really worried about Rodon because the White Sox knew him better than anybody. They wouldn't even make him a qualifying offer. What do they know that I don't know? Love the skills, but holy cow, they're a smart organization and they wouldn't even give him 15 million bucks. He's clearly a healthy Rodon is worth more than 15 million bucks. I'm out on him. Well, the Houston Astros know Justin Verlander and his rehab and his like recovery better than anybody. And they gave him a two-year contract, not a not like a, a Ken Giles two-year contract where it's we don't really expect anything the first year, but boy, 2023 is going to be a good year. They pounced and basically outbid everybody in the market, shut down the market for two years, whatever it was, 50 million bucks, serious serious money for like a pitcher Justin Verlander's uh, age. And they are very smart. They may be you know dirty cheaters, but they're they're certainly a smart organization. And they were aggressive about it. So I think the Rodon argument works as well the other way for Verlander as not. And it's interesting to me, if you buy anything that I've just said, that Max Scherzer is, people may not feel great about him as a first round pick, but it's not like, oh my God, look at all these idiots picking Max Scherzer in the first round. Whereas Verlander is very much what you said, which is, I don't mind uh, Justin Verlander, but he's sure not a priority at like pick a hundred or whatever it is. Well, if you buy what I just said, like, isn't he a huge priority? Pick a hundred. Well, I, I can, I can picture dozens of people listening to this and just being like, Rob, shut the hell up. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I've said too much, unless I'm trying to drive Justin Verlander's uh, price up uh, because suck it suckers. Now you're going to spend the sixth round pick on old man Verlander. It'd be, It'd be fun to like everyone like or for for us to just come up with like a list of um, ten starters going after pick ninety that we think will be going in the fifth round of main events and just see who can who can get the most guys right because I yeah um, you, so so the, but the, so the honest truth is I think that um, you may need to take a starting pitcher in round six before the run starts if you want mm-hmm. your pick of the litter so it may be a luxury you don't have to be screwing around and saying I love the guys in round seven you love the guys in January in round seven and early February in round seven. Uh, if you'll want one of them for sure. If you want to pick the guy as opposed to let the board dictate to me who the guy is, you may need to get him in round six. But I could be wrong. Like people are still taking speed. Like Miles Straw. I want to talk about Miles Straw before we wrap up. So I want to make sure we get to the last question yeah. too. Yeah. So I'll, I'll just do that. Um, so let's say we're we're around pick 95. Um it's it's early in the seventh round. You are light on speed. That is something you did not address properly with your first six picks. Uh, Edmonds gone. Polanco's gone. India's gone. Varsho's gone. You are eyeing up Christian Yelich, Miles Straw, or the best player on your board who doesn't help with steals. What direction are you going to go? Uh, so Miles Straw is not on my draft board. I will okay. not draft uh, Miles Straw. Uh, I will not draft um, players um, 
and I'm trying this. This is this is a self, obviously by definition. There is no the, the the hypothetical guy with a gun to my head uh, from uh, the um, the earlier question is not here. I've chosen to put this on. I won't draft guys who have a projected OPS uh, of seven hundred or lower. Um, uh, my podcast colleague uh, Jeff Zimmerman and Tanner Bell in the book, their wonderful book that if you haven't read, you should definitely read. The process have this chart that is seared into my brain which is the percentage likelihood of a uh, player based on their projected ops of hitting below 650. what's magical about hitting 650 or lower ops is players don't keep their jobs at 650 or ops like it's just you're too bad a hitter to keep your job for more than a week or two and therefore something has to change either you're hurt or you're sent down to the minors or you you, you sit on the bench and work with the hitting coach uh until you, you you can hit better and for a player that has a 700 ops it's basically a two in five chance, 40% that they're going to hit 650 uh, or lower, which if you think of the distribution of probabilities makes a, uh, a ton of sense. So this is not the likelihood that Miles Straw gets hurt. I'll assume he's young and fit and his likelihood of spraining an, amp, an ankle or pulling a quad are the same as any fit young uh, guy. Um, but a two in five chance of him just sucking so bad that he can't keep his job is way, way, way too high for me, uh, certainly in the first 10 rounds. And so when I say the rule, like if I have a guy in round 27 that I think he could be interesting, then yeah, I would take him. Like Because those guys are going to get waived anyways, the the first fab uh, period. But if it's pick I'm counting uh, on, it's just much easier for me to take uh, take the guy uh, off the board. And when I look back at... Uh, if I'd had that rule last year and in previous years, for every uh, Tommy Edmond that you miss out on, there are seven or eight guys every single season who lost their jobs, who lost playing time. So it's not an all or nothing um, proposition. Like if I am if I am taking straw, I am counting on 600 plate appearances. He could get 200 plate appearances. And the answer always is, but Rob, who else do they have? They have nobody else. They're going to have to play Miles Straw. And the answer is, if somebody's hidden 650 OPS, there is always somebody better. There is, There just is somebody better in the system that they can find or off the waiver wire who can who can put up a 700 OPS, uh, at least. So Miles Straw, it doesn't matter how badly screwed I am in the speed at this point of the draft, is off my board. I'm sorry. If, don't say that I've drafted Miles Straw in all four of my drafts uh, so far, and I was counting on him carrying all my teams to glory. Uh, I actually have I have no Miles Straw shares. I I think I am uh, more willing to take him than you are um, because, well, I know I am more willing to take him. Uh, he, he's on my board, but um, I part of the reason why I have been in on Tommy Edmond um, in recent years and just have never been in on guys like Malik Smith or, um, you know, Adolis Garcia, well, not Adolis Garcia, but just, you know, the, the Malik Smith types is just the, the defensive factor of like, I just think the guy is a good enough defender that he gets an extra bit of leash that, um, you know, a guy who's just kind of a, a butcher out there doesn't get. And, when I combine the defense with that depth chart, 
I do think it's, I, I don't quite buy that it's a 40% chance. I'm not saying it's a 0% chance, but I think it's maybe closer to a 15% chance that he loses his job in the first three to four months. Um, and he's, he's, you know, let's say like Yelich is gone. Yelich is going ahead of him anyways. Um, you know, you don't want, like, I'm not going, going to go into a single draft this year with the idea that I'm going to get Miles Straw. But I guess I can see scenarios where I think he's the lesser of the evils available to me because I just, I, for whatever reason, have messed up stolen bases. But I am being extremely aggressive on steals earlier on, um, and that's why I haven't ended up with Miles Straw. Anymore. The only thing I would point out uh, on on Miles Straw because we shouldn't have a, a two hour debate. You should do a separate podcast, a two hour debate on Miles uh, Straw is every single word you just said other people because I, I don't want to put words in your mouth mouth uh, made about Tavares last year for Texas it's it was look I, I hear what you're saying that he does not project to be a very good hitter but who the heck could they possibly use in the outfield if not him it's impossible and 10 minutes later, it's like, nah, Delino DeShields can do what he's doing. Or we have like guys you've never heard of before that we'll put out there because he's just struggling. So I don't know that he will struggle. I, I, I am acknowledging fully. When I say there's a 40% chance of something happening, that also means there's a 60% chance of it not happening, which is which, uh, without giving away all my secrets, is higher than 40%. But I don't think it's a good probability uh, play whatsoever. And the problem um, with the draft is when you've taken Miles Straw, when you take a Tavares uh, last year, use an example where it actually worked out, I write in, in pencil or, or type into my... Um, roto lab um that i've got 20 stolen bases but but i need a little bit more power uh now so the rest of my draft now has an assumption uh embedded uh in it because i have a guy it's the same as taking gallegos as my closer i have 30 saves uh now you're not backing up um Tavares with more speed just in case Tavares loses his job he was your ninth round pick or whatever uh the hypothetical was um, so you move, you move on, and and therefore it's a big hole uh, when you realize he's just lost his job. Different from a guy that you have for twenty home runs, three stolen bases, and like seventy seventy. Those guys you can you can you know plug away at, at filling. Uh, the guy who I would take here, it's not Yelich. It's the guy who somehow has become his like Siamese twin in draft discussions this year. I believe in Cody Bellinger's bounce back more than Yelich. So if I were, if I felt really good about my team and felt like I could have a luxury pitch uh, pick uh, here, and because I don't have a speed pick, but I'd like to have the potential at a bit of speed, um, I think the, I think if. I mean, it's easy to say if, if I knew that Cody Bellinger was healthy and that he would stop screwing around with his swing and was smoking less pot uh, all season, then I think Cody Bellinger is uh, is a better bet for a, a bounce back than Yelich. It is really hard when you go through baseball history, and I like doing this, and people, I think, roll their eyes like it's uh, it's irrelevant and something that old guys 
do. But I, I like seeing if, you, if I'm making a claim and nobody's ever done it before, at least understand that what you're trying to do is historic. It's, but the, the opposite also works. There are not a lot of guys who have started their careers as good as Cody Bellinger and have just gotten bad suddenly. There are guys, obviously, who have been really good and then got hurt and just couldn't perform physically anymore. But I don't think that we think that Cody Bellinger's injury is so bad that he shall never recover again. And therefore, it is very hard to find a guy who starts a career at a very young age, is so good, um, and then just forgets how to hit. And Whereas Yelich is a month older and um, there's a real scenario that it's like Miami Yelich again. There's a lot of other, I've, I both have health concerns about Yelich and I have performance concerns uh, about Yelich. Whereas with Bellinger, if you could guarantee me that he's healthy, I will make the bet that he's good again. And good Cody Bellinger is a first round pick. Rob, how excited would you be to see a video of Cody Bellinger that went viral in spring training because he made contact with a baseball? Uh, you you joke. Somebody <laughs> who we both know, who uh, who I will not name because this would embarrass him and he'd get pissed off at me, says he has a buddy who saw Bellinger at a batting cage taking swings and he looked awesome and that he is working out for the first time in his career this winter and he is committed to smoking less pot um and i roll i could not have rolled my eyes harder when he uh when my friend uh told me the, this piece of secret uh intel um it's look so what what could we get um that would change my mind like give me confidence in spring training like <laughs> It's not even exit velocity. Like if he, what, if he hits a home run 120 miles per hour exit velocity, what does that tell me? It's that Cody Bellinger is capable of hitting a ball really, really hard and really, really uh, far. It doesn't tell me he's going to be healthy for six months and stop screwing around with his uh, swing. I think you are making just a bet uh, here if you take Cody Bellinger. But I think on a risk-reward perspective, if there, if, if there isn't Polanco there, if there isn't India, I would take India ahead of uh, Bellinger too if he was there, but he wasn't there in your hypothetical. I think it's it's a, a risk I'd like to make, not on every team that I draft this year, but on one or two teams, because I think if it pays off, it can obviously pay off uh, huge for you. Yeah, I think we've touched on a handful of guys here where uh, we could see their main event ADP be, be quite different than what their current ADP is. Um, Rob, is there anything else you want to want to say before we we get going? That was that, I feel like I've said too much already. <laughs> well, I really really appreciate it, man. Uh, you've been too kind with your time. Oh and, no, this uh, was a ton of fun just sitting around talking baseball for for an hour. This was great. Yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun here as well. Uh, this has been the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast, brought to you by WinBet. Clay and Todd will be with you tomorrow. <laughs>